Welcome back to another interview. And today's guest is Scott Chacon. He's the former co-founder of GitHub, which was sold just a few days ago before we were recording to Microsoft and now working and founding a new company since, well, I have to ask how long it is already, uh, Chatterbug, which helps you to learn languages by practicing with live sessions instead of, instead of just learning vocabulary. Yep. How long, uh, first, Of all, welcome and thanks for taking the time for the interview. Thank you. Yeah. So that's happy to be here. Um, how long do you have Chatterbug already? <clears throat> so I started on uh, the code for it, I think, as a personal project when I was living in France. So my last year at GitHub, I lived in France, um, partially because we everybody there was a large percentage of the company that worked remotely. And I wanted to not be in San Francisco like the rest of the executive team was to have a better idea of what that's like and what uh, uh, so many of our employees were going through, uh, be paid in a different currency and, and have a different bank account and uh, be in a different time zone and all of those things that are very important to a distributed organization um, like, like GitHub was. And so that's why I moved to, to Paris. And while I was there, tried to learn French. Um, I didn't know any French, essentially, before I had planned to move. Um, and spent several months on on uh, Duolingo on a, on, a, on an app trying to learn it and then landed and couldn't understand anything and couldn't speak it or whatever. So at that point, I tried everything that was on the market, in-person classes, Alliance Francaise, it was like Gota Institute in, in France. Um, uh, yeah, uh, personal tutors and per like in-person tutors, all, all of these different things. And started <clears throat> writing software to help me memorize things. So with space repetition and things that I had tried to research, what is the best way of figuring out, like learning all of these words and um, learning all of this grammar. <clears throat> and so that software, I think, was started then. That was about two and a half years ago, um, almost three years ago, um, when I was living in, in Paris. And um, I left GitHub at the beginning of 2016 um, and worked on it with Tom, uh, one, one of my co-founders from GitHub, I, I convinced him that this is interesting, that this is something that that is like GitHub, I think, a problem that um, is a huge, huge market, right? It's a, it's a really, really big problem, and it's there's a lot of people in the space, and they all serve that space very poorly, I think, um, for, for a lot of people that are, that are trying to accomplish something. Um, <clears throat> and so... That was, I got Tom on board at the beginning of 2016 and we worked on it for a while. Um, and then I recruited a couple other people who I had worked with before at GitHub and, and even companies before that, um, that, that were in between jobs or, or were doing something else. So I was trying very hard not to poach from GitHub, um, which is, you know, as somebody who, if you've left one company to not, I still want GitHub to be successful. I, you know, I still think that that's really valuable. So. Um, but people that I trust, people that I worked with before, um, and I think everybody was kind of on board and the company was really going at the end of 2016. And so it's been another year and a half since then. Okay. So what you already mentioned was that you had or suffered yourself with the problem uh, of learning languages just by vocabulary and not uh, focusing on grammar. And what you built into... Uh, Chatterbug, what we talked about the last time or the first time we met was plant failing, as we you said, that you ha don't normally don't have the ecosystem to go out and talk to people with knowing, okay, it's, it's just a test. I can talk to them 
and I have the environment where it's okay to fail, but normally if you go out and try to speak a language, you're going out in the normal world and the real world and you don't want to talk in a new language or speak in a new language because you are afraid of failing. What is it um, or how could you implement this uh, concept of plant failing inside a company or maybe how do you use it inside of Chatterbuck as well? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I suppose it depends on the company. I, I think in GitHub, one of the things that we would do is is to see if a feature worked. I mean, this is at a larger scale. At the end of the time, we would do that. Um, I mean, so one is if you can use your product yourself at all. I think that that's, that's really valuable, right, to see what works and what doesn't work. Um, I mean, for, for the scenario that you're talking about of, of setting up something where you can, it's essentially testing, right? So I'm testing my language skills. I'm like QAing my language skills before I go out in, into production with having to have a conversation with somebody in real life. Um, and the more times that I go through that test and see what the failure modes are, right? I, I'm I'm not pulling this word properly, or I want to say that I know what I want to say, and I can't I can't put it together in the right order, or or whatever. And every time you hit one, then the next time you do it, you you hopefully avoid that trap and find a different one until you're getting to the end of it, um, and you're just sort of doing that that over and over again. So. I feel like like what we're building is sort of this QA system for or, you know this quality assurance system for for languages where it's we put you in situations and say okay just do this situation over and over and over again until you're comfortable with that situation and then when you hit that situation in real life um, there's a better than average chance that you'll be able to get through it because you've you've not only prepared for it but you've you've gone through the gauntlet several times already right you've hit all of the problems that that you're likely to to find in that. Um, and it's actually another interesting thing about about Chatterbug as well is that we match up with different people, not every time, but there's usually a pool of different tutors that, that you have. And so I can go through the same scenario five or six times with five or six different tutors and and know in this accent, sometimes they'll ask this way or in this dialect, sometimes they'll it'll come at, at me this way. Um, and I think it's really valuable. So I think... The crux of it is that QA is, is really valuable. Testing things is really valuable. Going through something multiple times is helpful um, for finding the best solution at the end. And and it can be in language. It can be in testing your code. It can be in testing uh, features with users, which is another thing that, that you know I try to do from a dog fooding perspective. I, I've been using Chatterbug a lot myself. Um, everybody that comes on board if they if they already know all the languages that we teach we we try to get them to go outside and take other language cl classes like what what do students really need out of this thing and that that can be applicable i think to to just about any any company right that that you have your employees use it that you use it as a ceo or or as a founder um, that you understand very personally the the problem sets of of your customers right and and if that's not possible then you listen as much as possible to your customers that that are going through going through all of this so that's another thing that we try to do is is make sure that we have open lines of communication to our customers, and it's something that we did at GitHub as well. We would, if we were trying out a new feature or something, we would launch it to 10% of the population and watch them and see how that worked, um, and see if that was solving their problems in a better way before launching it to everybody else. Right. So, I think it, it's about the quality assurance is about listening to your customers and making sure that people go through these things in a real way. And that they come out successful at the end um, and, and just iterating on that until it works.
right? Or until it works better. You were already starting to talk or elaborate on an easy way to get customer feedback. Like you're focusing on, in every company you build, like GitHub and now Chatterbug, on making it as easy as possible to get feedback from the customer. But you also talked about what that was when I heard you the first time uh, speaking in a keynote about most of the companies are focusing on making the, program, uh, the process as hard as possible that nobody gives them feedback. So could you elaborate on your uh, thoughts around uh, customer feedback importance and journey? Yeah, so I mean, I think if a customer ever wants to send you feedback, it's because your product has failed them in some way, right? It was either that they weren't able to figure something out or something that they tried to do didn't work as, as expected by the customer for whatever reason. Um, you, you thought about it differently than they did, um, or, you know, something's simply broken, right? Um, and, and when somebody wants to ask you about that, like when you hit that fail, failure mode, like if everything works perfectly, then customers don't send you feedback. If customers have a problem with something, then you want to make it as easy as possible to get feedback for it. Otherwise, you don't know what happened in, in most cases, right? If it takes five steps and customers stop caring, right? It's their time that you're taking to do it. And so if it takes five steps and they get three steps in, they're like, you know what? I don't even care. Like, I'm not just, I'm just not going to use this anymore, which I think happens a lot. Like I find myself doing that a lot. I'll want to give feedback to, to somebody and say, there was a thing, was this expected? And if it takes me more than a couple of minutes, I'm not really going to do it. And so we use a, a product called Intercom. There, there are other solutions out there that are similar, but ideally in my world, it should be one click to, to get a form and you type out what the problem is and you hit send and that's it, right? And, and they'll get back to you if, if, hopefully they'll get back to you. It doesn't have to be immediate, it doesn't have to be chat, right? It doesn't have to be real time. It just has to be a way to say, here's something that happened that I, I want feedback on or I want you to know about and it has to be very, very easy. And I think what most companies do is they really want to optimize the process. They want to make it so that they can process a lot of, a lot of you know, feedback or, or whatever. And so they have you fill out drop downs of what category is this or what's the subject line and then the body and where does this fit and have you do all of this triaging work for them beforehand, which I think is, is really unnecessary. I, I think it should be whatever your process is, you know, whatever your company is, pretend like you had a problem with it and try to give your own company feedback and see how long it takes you to do it, right? How long it takes you to do it successfully because I think in most cases it's much more complicated. Like for every form that's on there, is it necessary or is it, is it work that you can hire somebody to just do in triage and, and figure it out for you um, and get more, more feedback? Because every time that somebody wants to send you feedback, again, it's a failure mode and you should know about those failure modes, right? You should know here are the ways in which my product is not working as intended or is not serving the needs of my customer because that's the point of the product for, for, you know in the in most cases do you have rules inside of chatterbox how fast you have to go back or get back to your customer no no I, in fact i don't i don't think that that's particularly important mm -hmm. um i think as long as people i mean you know you don't want to take a month but but if it takes a day um if it takes five minutes, like it's great. The faster that it is, the, the better, especially if they're still online, you can have a conversation with them. Um, we, we see actually a lot of um, uh, conversions from having a great customer experience from, from there is a problem and we're immediately on it and we're rolling out a fix and they're, you know, they're like, wow, this is the, the, these people really care about this experience and about what, what I'm trying to do here. Um, so it is really great. I think it, it's hard to keep that up 
all the time unless you're a larger company, right? I think a company like GitHub that has hundreds of people doing customer service is one thing where something can come in, it can be triaged, it can get to the right person, um, it can be responded to relatively quickly. Uh, but even in those cases, it's not like it's great. I think it's good to to immediately get back. Like we're looking at it. Maybe sometimes that that is not helpful. There's no real information in there except that you know it was received. You don't want that to be automated. I don't think like it, there should be a human doing that because it's like okay, well that's I know it was received. I submitted the form. I assume you received it. Um, but there are very hard technical problems that sometimes take weeks to do. Right, and so you just want to keep people up to date. I, I don't think that you. I, I don't think that. The, the speed at which you get back to somebody is as important as the quality with which you get back to, to a customer. Points you already mentioned are using your own product, um, making it as easy as possible to get uh, consumer feedback or customer feedback. And um, what are also key components for you that you are looking for when you are running your own company or a new company? Uh, in... in What way specifically? Yeah, just like uh, what are you looking especially for? Or? Like um, how do you, uh, yeah, product, uh, culture, whatever. Maybe you have some key factors that are, you are trying to improve every day more than others, for example. Um, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think for me, for product, it comes back a lot to, to the customer experience. Are people... Um, in the end, achieving what they set out to achieve, right? And and in our case, that is learning a language, right? So we will, in some cases, try to get people to go and take standardized tests and see, are they achieving the goals that they would achieve through the best method, that other methods that we know of? Um, and if not, why is that? If they stopped using it for some reason, why was that? Is there some way we can figure that out? And just sort of iterating on that process till we can get more people through to You know, I didn't know any of this language or, or a, I knew A1 and I got through to B1 or B2 or, or I, I achieved some sense of fluency in this. And, and that is somewhat measurable. So just working back through that and saying, where are we losing people in that process? And is it avoidable? And, and if so, why? Like, is it something that they didn't know about the product? Is there, is there something we can inform them of? Like, what are the the patterns of people that do happen to get all the way through, like what types of customers are those and can we take the, the things that they were able to do and, and backport them to other, other types of customers, right? Like fill in gaps. Um, and that's going to be massively different depending on what your product is, right? Of, of how do you make your customers successful in using your, your product. And, and I think that that's actually really important. It's another sort of combination of things that, that I've learned from GitHub that, that is not particularly common, right, is caring a lot about the people that use your product, um, which is not always common. It, sometimes people care more about um, if there's a difference between the people that use the product and the people that pay for the product, if there's a, a purchasing manager, if there's a procurement process um, that, that a lot of energy goes into sales, right, and, and marketing and getting people To, to buy the product and not necessarily care as much what the user experience is. And I think that was a, a really big, I mean, this is a huge thing with like ad supported companies, for example, right? Like they want the ads to be successful and they don't care that much that the experience of the user um, on that ad network is particularly good, right? It can be somewhat annoying and they make more money. And, and, and so they're, they're able to, to, to do that. For, for GitHub, it was the difference between sort of SourceForge, which was the big thing before GitHub and GitHub 
was SourceForge was ads, and they that's what they cared about, and that's what they optimized for, and that's what their market audience was, um, I th- or their their audience for the for building their product. And for GitHub, it was really the user, like the user need we needed the de- software developer to have a good experience with this. Um, and and for Chatterbug, it's the same thing. Like, are people learning the language? Is it is it something that that's happening? And if they're not, we we have to ask. We can't blame the customer and say it's their fault. Like they they didn't do their writing exercises or something. It's why didn't they do the writing exercises? Are, is, are they not interesting enough? Are they not compelling? Like, what, what is the psychology behind that that we can get them to a place where they're successful and not they're, they're not successful because they're not good at languages or, or, or something, right? So you and your team are spending a lot of your time on the journey the customer takes to the end goal and looking at every step that could be optimized or why it doesn't work and try to improve it. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think so. And and both anecdotally, I think internally, a lot of uh, of our employees use Chatterbug um, to learn German or Spanish or French, um, and and so we're constantly learning from that. And others go and take outside classes, and and we're compiling like what what works, what's motivating for us at all of these different because it also changes. For language learning is interesting. It changes, I think along a spectrum when you're first starting there's a set of things that are motivating and interesting and compelling when you're intermediate it's it's different and when you're more advanced it's it's again different right like there, there are different things like once you get to a point where you're kind of comfortable speaking the language it's hard to get you to the point where you're really fluent in it right because you're like okay i've hit this plateau like it's you the the difference in what you learn if you know 10 words and you learn 10 more words, you, that's a lot. You've just doubled what you know in the language. If you know 1,500 words and you learn 10 more words, it's very hard for that to feel meaningful, right? And so you have to, like, the, the challenge changes over time. So it is, but I mean, again, this is, this is the same, I think, with any, with any product-based company, customer-focused company. With GitHub, it was the same thing. There are people who have never written a line of code, who have no idea what open source is, and you have to educate them and help them through their process and teach them how to do it. And there are people that have been doing it for 30 years and or people that have been using GitHub for five or 10 years. Um, and is it still working well for their needs, right? And and so, you you know, I think the best thing to do is to use it yourself and to listen to your customers and, and just evolve the product with what you see happening, with what you see people using. Are French, Spanish and German the only languages that you are uh, teaching yet? Or so those are the languages right now that we at least have beta mm-hmm. um, uh, systems going for. So we're launching Spanish this week um, to, to open signups. Um, I think you were going to take Spanish classes, yes? Yes, and I also have a friend who told me if he's bringing out Spanish, you have to tell me. So, okay. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll definitely, it's, it's open this week, so um, uh, I would invite you into the beta early, but uh, it's, it's literally going to be like tomorrow, I think, that we open it up. Um, or, I mean, before, it'll be before this podcast is released, certainly. Um, and, uh, and then French will be next, that's mm-hmm. I th- probably, or English, I'm not sure what will come out uh, ahead in the end. But those are the languages we're actively working on now. Okay. So, did you just, so you... Obviously, that was what I know. Uh, you started with German because you wanted to learn German as well. Yeah. And um, is French also a follow-up of your France expertise? Um, 
I think the Spanish and French come more from customer feedback. Okay. So we had a, an open sign up of, of if you don't want to learn German, what language do you want to learn? And, and we just kind of looked at the data that, that was coming in of what people said that they wanted to learn. And we got that a lot anecdotally as well, where people would come in and do a couple of lessons in, in German. And then we would follow up if they if they stopped using it and say why. And they're like, I'm just, just seeing what this was. I, I really don't want to learn German. I want to learn French or, or Spanish or something. Um, and so that that happened a lot. Um, so it's, it's, it's most, those decisions are mostly based off what people are asking for, what we think the, the market for. for. For me, the reason I learned German was not particularly because I wanted to learn German or because I thought it would be super helpful for me. Um, it was because it was an interesting language that was very close, I think, um, to the difficulty for an English learner to learn. So I had learned uh, Japanese and some, some Mandarin before this, and the writing systems are very hard and kind of got in the way of what I was interested in. I wanted to see how long it took to learn a language, not a new writing system. Um, and so we'll get to those eventually, but it's, a, it's a, another problem on top of learning a new language, right? Learning how to write in a new language. You can, you can write English in kana, in, in Japanese, right? If, if you, you, it's just a, a syllabary. Um, but for German, I had learned some French. You know, I knew how long it took me. I knew the techniques and methods that I used, and I wanted to compare it as closely as possible to, to something else. And I already knew some Spanish. I took some in, in college and in high school. And so I really wanted to have something where I could do a different technique and then compare it to, to French, right? And so that's, that's why I chose German. And now I'm just continuing in German because, you know, we've opened this office in Berlin and we have a, a number of German employees and it's, it's fun now to come here and speak in German and get better at German and watch myself, you know, sort of become more comfortable in it as I go and, and to go farther. I'm, I'm better at German. My German's not super fantastic, but I can have conversations in it and, and it is farther along than any of the other languages that I've learned. And so just to see what is it, what does that part of the process look like when you're in the B levels, you know, um, is, is much different than, than starting fresh, from, I think, from something new. Thanks for sharing. Um, what I saw when I uh, went to the GitHub homepage, uh, not GitHub, Chatterbug. <laughs> I do that uh, too. Chat, Chatterbug um, homepage. My two babies. Yeah. Uh, so I'm always messing around with Chatterbug and GitHub when I talk with you right now or about you, and I was I'm always confused. But um, when I looked there, there was also a B2B uh, version. Yep. So what can Chatterbug do for me as a company if I have a team of 20, 50, 100 people? So what can you do for me as yeah. well? So I mean that is uh, we you can well. Let me back up a little bit. I think one of the, the interesting things that, that GitHub did that we, we also wanted to kind of emulate in Chatterbug is creating something that people that used the system like to do and then go into companies and say, this is something that people here like using, right? And, and, and spread it within, a, like find one or two people that use it within the company and spread it within the company. Um, for, for, for Chatterbug, I think there is a, a, a big opportunity for us in the B2B market um, eventually when we have more languages on board because I think we are a very effective way of, of learning languages, of teaching languages. Um, you can learn it from anywhere. You can have a very distributed office. You can have offices in 40 countries, right, and offer all of the employees uh, classes through this. And it works really as opposed to trying to bring in tutors to all of your different offices and having schedules and all of that. I, th I, think, I think we make teaching language is much, much easier. Um, but right now our focus is, is much more on the, the consumer standpoint, right? Like 
if we have you invite people into this, are they going to enjoy it? Are they going to be successful in it? Um, can we measure that? Do we understand what that, that journey looks like? And learning a language is a really long process, right? It takes a year at least to, to, to go from a low level to, to a relatively high level. And so we're trying that with hundreds of people at the same time and seeing what does this look like. Um, I think in the future, we will concentrate more on, on B2B. And it's the same thing that the GitHub did, right? We had this consumer product. We got it to the point where people really liked using it. It was very, I think, successful and, and um, easy to do and, and solve people's problems in a very real way. Um, and then they would ask for it in a corporate setting, and we would answer that, that call, right? But... Um, uh, and, and Chatterbug is the same thing. I think there are, there's a huge global um, issue where companies grow up from, from Germany or from Spain or from France um, and become global, com or from China, become global companies and they need to standardize on one language so that they can write internal emails and have all hands meetings and things like that. And I think generally that, that language is English, not all the time, but, but um, most of the time. Um, and so trying to to take a conglomeration of different languages that that exists within your company. I mean, this is a great example. We have, you know, 20 employees, I think, ish, um, and that speak probably collectively, I don't know, 30 different languages in, in various aspects and stuff. And, and English is the common, but it's, it's all over the place. And if it is a problem in a larger company, like, how do you solve that problem, right? How do you teach thousands of people English to a known level and know how long that's going to take and know how expensive that's going to be um, and help help your employees track that and help your employees know here's where you need to get and how much work you have and how long you have to, to, to reach that goal. Um, and that's something I think is very, very difficult with other, other I mean, just as a global problem. Um, and it's something I think we're relatively uniquely suited to, to, to solve. Interesting. As, I, as we are sitting in Berlin and I am from Germany and I went through the German uh, school system and I can tell you that one year ago or maybe one and a half years ago, I was so uncomfortable with speaking English and now I'm running a, an English podcast quite smoothly and I'm uh, really comfortable with it just through speaking without or listening to content without uh, learning vocabulary. That's uh, really more the approach that you were you were taking, and I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with that one. Um, my, and I saw it on uh, on my own, and but I also know how many people have struggles in Germany talking proper English um, inside of companies or uh, conversations. And everybody's like, "How did you learn English?" And I'm like, "I just talked. I had to in Berlin. There were so many international people that I could not just uh, stick to German." But um, I also and I think that's that's the thing, right? That's that's one of the things where trying to learn a language with with uh, just an app that doesn't have a human being involved makes things really really difficult. Like there are users in our in our our base that really don't use the self study um, portion that much and and just take a lot of classes, right? Or just we have the video that makes it really easy to have a one on one conversation with somebody somewhere in Germany or, or that that is a German native speaker most in most cases. Um, and and can just help you practice right it's just getting that time and and it is nice to consume media i think learning a language other than english that is a little bit more difficult uh, in just finding content um that's that's something that that is easily consumable uh, you know the us exports so much english language content it's relatively easy to find a lot of stuff that's that's high quality 
I think Netflix and, and things are making that a little bit better in German. I just watched all of you know Babylon Berlin, and 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 there's a, a bunch of really interesting shows that are coming out produced in German, uh, but it's still relatively rare. So, like getting content um, for English speakers to to just try to consume as much content as possible to try to um, absorb a new language, I think is is really difficult, right? And and even for that, I think you need to get into the B levels before that's really something that's enjoyable to do, anyways. That's true. Definitely. Um, now I would love to have a small switch as we uh, in the topic, as I would love to cover your thoughts on the GitHub acquisition. Sure. Um, obviously, uh, you were highly involved in GitHub. Yeah. And um, so first of all, congratulations that you built uh, that huge company until I think 400 employees and a bit up, something uh, like that. When I left, it was 400 or 450, I think. Um, as of now, I think it's in the 800 range. Okay. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the strategy of Microsoft um, with buying companies like LinkedIn at first, now GitHub, and maybe some more? Um, I think it's very smart of them. So one of one of the things that that is interesting from the perspective of working in GitHub for a long time is that Microsoft was one of the the best partners that we ever had um, for a long, long time. So. Um, I, I helped start a project called libgit2, which is an embeddable git library reentrant uh, C library that was linkable. Um, and it's probably used in every competitor that GitHub has to today, right? Um, and, and any git hosting thing uses libgit2. All of the clients use libgit2. Um, and that it started with some people at, at Google for a few commits. And then uh, it was a Google Summer of Code intern that... that um, GitHub sponsored and and um, and worked on that a whole lot, and then Microsoft really came in and helped get it to a place where it was really a serious library. Um, and Microsoft provided, I think, in the end, most of the manpower behind that. And so Microsoft actually wrote this this uh, this is just one example of it, but wrote a, a core foundational library for all of the Git hosting companies in in the world right now. Um, and and worked with GitHub to do that. And there's there's actually example after example of of Atom and 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 Electron and all of their work in that and and forking off and doing VS Code stuff. But really, we're putting a lot of time and effort into Electron. I think Microsoft is employees are the number one corporate um, open source contributor on all of GitHub. And so it's just been this long long sort of relationship of, of GitHub working very closely and really well with Microsoft. Um, in a way that I I would not have, I, I mean I I you know started coding in the late 90s, um, uh, coming out of, of high school, and and it was all open source and and copyleft and you know that was the, the the sort of stuff that I was into. I ran Linux as a desktop stuff and wrote all my papers in LaTeX and um, and and so I'm I'm I think from that background from that open source background that did not like Microsoft in the 90s like it was not good for open source it was openly hostile and aggressive to open source um, and I think this is maybe maybe part of that transformation right they they want to transform they're into Linux they're in cloud um, they're into you know, like Azure has you can you can spin up Linux instances you can pay Microsoft to run Linux for you and so I think they're trying to become a better they, they understood kind of what happened what that was and how people think about that and they want to to embrace this open source community and, and developers and and what they need and what they want and you know acquiring github is is i think a really good way of doing that um and so i think it's smart on their part i think it's smart on github's part 
Um, I think that GitHub will be better and stronger and, and, and open source. I think we'll, we'll, there are a lot of open source people that were like me in the 90s where you know, they've been doing it forever and they'll do open source no matter what. They'll, be, they'll do open source if, if GitHub is shut down or anything, right? Like they, they just love doing that. Whereas there's a lot of people that are Microsoft people or corporate coders that now will look at this as a serious solution of doing open source that otherwise would not have. And so I think that, 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 that just expanding the horizons of open source into the corporate world is the biggest thing that open source gets out of this. But, um, but again, I haven't worked there in two years. So this is just, this is my opinion from, from being an open source guy and, and kind of understanding GitHub to some degree. Do you think, even when you did not work there for the last two years, um, that there is a tipping point in a startup that becomes a huge company like GitHub where it's the best solution to grow further to, for example, be bought or partner with a uh, corporate like Microsoft? And when, and, and if so, uh, when it, could you define this tipping point? Yeah. I mean, GitHub was interesting because we we grew from a handful of, I think, you know, sort of four of us in the early days. Um, it grew very, very slowly, and then that, that kind of ramped up, but we were bootstrapped. So we never, we didn't raise any money. People are saying on, online and stuff, I keep reading this, that GitHub was never profitable or can't be profitable, which is not true. GitHub was always profitable um, and, and ran entirely bootstrapped for the first four years, up to a hundred and something employees, I think, before we raised a penny of VC, um, which is incredibly rare. And, and I think we were able to do that because the business model itself is a very profitable type of business model. Um, and so we were, we were highly profitable for a long time and, and everybody that we hired was out of that. And we raised money for the, I think a similar type of reason that, that GitHub eventually was sold, which was, um, we realized what we weren't good at, right? We saw where we wanted to go. Um, we saw that a couple of, you know, open source, open source coders that hired a bunch of other engineers that were interested in open source and had never really done business venture before that didn't understand anything about stuff outside of engineering, really, um, management or, or HR or, you know, sales or anything, um, that we needed help with that. Right. And so that was really the driver of the first, the, you know, It's a Series A because it was the first thing we raised, but it was a $100 million raise. And so there's not a lot of $100 million Series A uh, rounds. But the reason for it was not the money. And, and we had a lot of arguments about this internally, if we needed it or not. And, and at the end of the day, that was the deciding factor, right, was we needed help. There, was, there were places we wanted to go. We weren't qualified to do. We, we could probably learn it, but it would be slow and painful. Um, and we wanted to get people to help us with it. And I, that's probably what, what drove this as well, right? Um, is they could hire a C, CEO because um, Chris had said that he wanted to step down. They could target an IPO. They could do that at some point, but that's all unknown territory. Um, and and it, it could be difficult. It could be rocky. It could hurt the company in the long run. Or they can partner with, with a company that's done it a lot, that knows how to do all of that, that knows how to grow in those ways. That, that GitHub wanted to do, and, and they, they went down that route, right? Um, which I think is smart. What are your plans uh, now that uh, you saw or did it already uh, build uh, GitHub with your co-founders and now you are focusing on Chatterbug? Uh, what are your plans on um, 
building up a chatterbug and what are you relying on as um, maybe yeah strategies to build it up faster so because of um, experience you have yeah well i mean i don't think it's ever a particularly good idea to focus on on speed right i mean i think what we want to focus on is is quality so we want to make sure that I mean, we know that the platform works. We've had enough time and enough people through it that we know that if you do what we ask you to do or, or follow the, the, the curriculum that we have, you come at the end, you can go and take a go to test and, and pass that, right? That, that, that it is very correlated. And, um, and so we have that data now. We, we understand that. And now it's making it easier, making it more fun, make it simpler, making it whatever, whatever reasons that, that, that people are coming out of it. But... At the end of the day, if you don't, you know, you need to have a focus on product. Like that's the most important thing, and then growth will will come from that. And and trying to sort of force growth instead of it's always better to have it happen naturally and dynamically, and have people that love your product so much that they can't wait to tell twenty of their friends, um, or or you know something along that line, as opposed to forcing it down people and, and trying to see if you can convince them to give you money. Um, it's always better to to learn about GitHub from a friend that says, I love this thing so much, or learn about Chatterbug from a friend that's like, you should hear, or, you know, how did your German get so much better? And it's like, oh, I'm using this thing that's, that's great and works really well for me. And that's how we want to grow, right? And so I think eventually that, that's really what our, pro what our focus is and what I, I think most product-based companies should be is we want our product to be so good that, that they're, people are telling everybody about it, right? And, and, and uh, You know, we can worry about growth from a technical standpoint, like what can we handle or, or how would we get there? What happens if, if this blows up um, or, or scales faster than, than we were? Like, how would we technically handle that type of load? Um, but, but from a company perspective, we want to make sure our focus is always on how can we make this better for people? So if anybody is struggling with word of mouth, maybe look at your product. <laughs> just kidding. Um, just uh, just um, summing it up in a hard way. What you what you said? Yeah, I mean it can be different. I mean this is you know th this is a very personal product, right? It's it's something that that unlike GitHub, which this is one of the big differences is GitHub was a very social product. You the point of it, the real f like core strength of it is that it helps you work with other people. And language learning is it helps you learn a language with other people, but not in a collaborative way as much as, as I mean, it can be, we, we might get to that point where you can do, you know, changing time. You, you teach an hour of German and I, I teach you an hour of English or something like that. I think we'll get to that type of model eventually, but, um, but it's not where, you know, something where we, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's slightly different from that standpoint. If you're building machinery that produces, you know, tractors, like, You can't, it, like, word of mouth is not exactly the, the type of thing that you're going for, but you still want that same focus, right? You want to make sure that the machines work really well for the people that are trying to produce the tractors, right? Like, like it needs to do its job well for the people that are using it on the line, not just the people that are buying it, but, but are actually interacting with the machine and, and that the output is good and, like, the product itself has to be good. And, and I feel like it's still rare for people to care much about that, right? Um, and I, I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure why... And I do this all, I drive my wife completely crazy because I complain about product all the time. I complain about my phone or I complain about the glasses that I buy or, or you know, I'm just looking at things on the table, the, the, the recording system, the drone that I just bought. Like, here's the 
the the downsides of this like why would they do it this way had they have the oh my gosh we just had a baby sorry this is we just had a baby uh three months ago and so we have all this new baby stuff and so i keep going out with the baby stuff and walking around and like the thing will pop open like when we hit a bump and it's like did you never use this stroller before like it was there no is there nobody that ever put a baby in this and walked around with it like it was an expensive stroller like why why would it have this this relatively serious defect that would, it seems like it just annoys me all the time that, that there's not focus on anyways. So <laughs> anyway, care about your product. That's, that's the, you can sum all of that up into care about your product. Yeah. So Scott, thank you a lot for the, for all the insights and valuable insights into, um, your story about Chatterbox, GitHub, and also how you, how you see the future of, uh, or yeah, your, your thoughts on Microsoft and what they are doing as i as i asked it a lot but and i really loved the last story when you told me or told us about um yeah that you're fanatic about products and trying to figure out why they are doing something and to even improve their products so um thanks a lot thanks for taking the time uh it was was great to have you here and i hope uh, more and more people will care about their product and their customers i hope so too <laughs> thanks <laughs>